0: Letter twenty of Pamela, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela, volume two by Samuel Richardson. Letter twenty. My dear Lady, I read with pleasure your commands in your last kind and obliging letter, and you may be sure of a ready obedience in every one of them that is in my power. That which I can most easily do, I will do first, and that is, to transcribe the answer I sent to Miss Darnford, and that to Mrs. Dukes, the former of which, and a long one it is, is as follows. Dear Miss Darnford, I begin now to be afraid, I shall not have the pleasure and benefit I promise myself, of passing a fortnight or three weeks at the hall, in your sweet conversation, and that of your worthy family, as well as those others in your agreeable neighbourhood, whom I must always remember with equal honour and delight. The occasion will be principally that we expect very soon Lord and Lady Davers, who propose to tarry here a fortnight at least, and after that the advanced season will carry us to London, where Mr. B has taken a house for his winter residence, and in order to attend Parliament a service, he says, which he has been more deficient in hitherto, than he can either answer to his constituents, or to his own conscience. For though he is but one, yet if any good motion should be lost by one, every absent member who is independent has to reproach himself with the consequence of the loss of that good which might otherwise redound to the commonwealth. And besides, he says, such excuses as he could make, everyone might plead, and then public affairs might as well be left to the administration, and no Parliament be chosen. See you, my dear Miss Darnford, from the humble cottager, what a public person your favourite friend is grown. How easy is it for a bold mind to look forward, and perhaps forgetting what she was, now she imagines she has a stake in the country, takes upon herself to be as important, as significant, as if, like my dear Miss Darnford, she had been born to it. Well, but may I not ask whether, if the mountain cannot come to Mahomet, Mahomet will not come to the mountain, since Lady Davis's visit is so uncertain as to its beginning and duration, and so great a favour as I am to look upon it, and really shall, it being her first visit to me, and since we must go and take possession of our London residence, why can't Sir Simon spare to us the dear lady whom he could use hardly, and whose attendance, though he is indeed entitled to all her duty, he did not, just in that instance, quite so much deserve. Well, but after all, Sir Simon, would I say, if I had been in presence at his peevish hour, you are a fine gentleman, are you not, to take such a method to show your good daughter, that because she did not come soon enough to you, she came too soon, and did ever, Papa, before you put a good book, for such I doubt not it was, because you were in affliction, though so little affected by its precepts, to such a bad use. As parents' examples are so prevalent, suppose your daughter had taken it and flung it at her sister, Miss Nancy at her waiting-maid, and so it had gone through the family. Would it not have been an excuse for everyone to say, that the father in the head of the family had set the example. You almost wish, my dear miss tells me, that I would undertake you. This is very good of you. Sir Simon, I might, would his patience, have suffered me to run on thus, have added, but I hope, since you are so sensible that you want to be undertaken, and since this peevish rashness convinces me that you do, that you will undertake yourself that you will not, when your indisposition requires the attendance and duty of your dear lady and daughter, make it more uncomfortable to them, by adding a difficulty of being pleased, and an impatience of spirit, to the concern their duty and affection make them have for you, and at least resolve never to take a book into your hand again, if you cannot make a better use of it than you did then. But Sir Simon will say, I have already undertaken him, were he to see this. Yet my lady Darmford once begged I would give him a hint or two on this subject, which, she was pleased to say, would be better received from me than from anybody, and if it be a little too severe, it is but a just reprisal made by one whose ears he knows he has cruelly wounded more than once, twice or thrice besides, by what he calls his innocent double entendres, and who, if she had not resented it when an opportunity offered, must have been believed, by him, to be neither more nor less than a hypocrite. There's for you, Sir Simon, and so here ends all my malice, for now I have spoken my mind. Yet I hope your dear papa will not be so angry as to deny me, for this my freedom, the request I make to him, to your mamma and to your dear self, for your beloved company, for a month or two in Bedfordshire and at London, and if you might be permitted to winter with us at the latter, how happy should I be. It will be half done the moment you desire it, Sir Simon loves you too well to refuse you, if you are earnest in it. Your honoured mamma is always indulgent to your requests, and Mr B, as well in kindness to me, as for the great respect he bears you, joins with me to beg this favour of you, and of Sir Simon and my lady. If it can be obtained, what pleasure and improvement may I not propose to myself, with so polite a companion, when we are carried by Mr. B to the play, the opera, and other of the town diversions? We will work, visit, read, and sing together, and improve one another. You, me, in every word you shall speak, in everything you shall do. I, you, by my questions and desire of information, which will make you open all your breasts to me, and so unlocking that dear storehouse of virtuous knowledge, improve your own notions, the more for communicating them. O oh, my dear Miss Darnford, I, how happy is it in your power to make me. I am much affected with your account of Mrs. Dukes's reformation, I could have wished, had I not other and stronger inducements, in the pleasure of so agreeable a neighbourhood and so sweet a companion, I could have been down at the hall, in hopes to have confirmed the poor woman in her newly assumed penitence. God give her grace to persevere in it, to be a humble means of saving a soul from perdition. Oh, my dear Miss Darnford, let me enjoy that heart-ravishing hope to pluck such a brand as this out of the fire, and to assist to quench its flaming susceptibility for mischief, and make it useful to edifying purposes. What a pleasure does this afford one! How does it encourage one to proceed, in the way one has been guided to pursue? How does it make me hope that I am raised to my present condition, in order to be a humble instrument in the hand of providence, to communicate great good to others, and so extend to many those benefits I have received? which were they to go no further than myself what a vile what an ungrateful creature should i be i see my dearest miss darnford how useful in every condition of life a virtuous and a serious turn of mind may be in hopes of seeing you with us i will not enlarge on several agreeable subjects which i could touch upon with pleasure besides what i gave you in my former of my reception here and of the kindness of our genteel neighbours, such particularly as the arrival here of my dear parents, and the kind generous entertainment they met with from my best friend, his condescension in not only permitting me to attend them to Kent, but accompanying us thither, and settling them in a most happy manner, beyond their wishes and my own, but yet so much in character, as I may say, every one must approve his judicious benevolence. The favours of my good Lady Davies to me, who, pleased with my letters, has vouchsafed to become my correspondent, and a thousand things which I want personally to communicate to my dear Miss Darnford. Be pleased to present my humble respects to Lady Darnford, and to Miss Nancy, to good Madam Jones, and to your kind friends at Stamford, also to Mr. and Mrs. Peters, and their kinswoman, and beg of that good gentleman from me to encourage his new proselyte all he can. And I doubt not she will do credit, poor woman, to the pains he shall take with her, in hopes of your kind compliance with my wishes for your company. I remain, dearest Miss Darnford, your faithful and obliged friend and servant. P.B. This, my good lady, is the long letter I sent to Miss Darnford, who at parting engaged me to keep up a correspondence with her, and put me in hopes of passing a month or two at the hall. If we came down, and if she could persuade Sir Simon and her mamma to spare her to my wishes, your ladyship will excuse me for so faintly mentioning the honours you confer upon me, but I would not either add or diminish in the communications I make to you. The following is the copy of what I wrote to Mrs. Dukes. You give me Mrs. Dukes very great pleasure, to find that at length God Almighty has touched your heart and let you see, while health and strength lasted, the error of your ways. Many an unhappy one has not been so graciously touched, till they have smarted under some heavy afflictions, or been confined to the bed of sickness, when perhaps they have made vows and resolutions that have held them no longer to the discipline lasted. But you give me much better hopes, of the sincerity of your conversion, as you are so well convinced, before some sort of evil has overtaken you, and it ought to be an earnest to you of the divine favour, and should keep you from despondency. As to me, it became me to forgive you, as I most cordially did, since your usage of me, as it proved, was but a necessary means in the hand of providence, to exalt me to that state of happiness in which I have every day more and more cause given me to rejoice by the kindest and most generous of gentlemen. As I have often prayed for you, even when you use me the most unkindly, I now praise God for having heard my prayers, and with high delight look upon you as a reclaimed soul given to my supplication. May the divine goodness enable you to persevere in the course you have begun, and when you can taste the all-surpassing pleasure that fills the worthy breast on being placed in a station where your example may be of advantage to the souls of others, as well as to your own, a pleasure that every good mind glories in, and none else can truly relish, then may you be assured that nothing but your perseverance, and the consequential improvement resulting from it, is wanted to convince you that you are in a right way, and that the woe that is pronounced against the presumptuous sinner belongs not to you. Let me therefore, dear Mrs. Jukes, for now indeed you are dear to me, caution you against two things, the one, that you return not to your former ways, and willfully err after this repentance, for the divine goodness will then look upon itself as mocked by you, and will withdraw itself from you, and more dreadful will your state then be than if you had never repented the other that you don't despair of the divine mercy which has so evidently manifested itself in your favour and has awakened you out of your deplorable lethargy without those sharp medicines and operations which others and perhaps not more faulty persons have suffered but go on cheerfully in the same happy path depend upon it you are now in the right way and turn not either to the right hand or to the left, for the reward is before you, in reputation and a good fame in this life, and everlasting felicity beyond it. Your letter is that of a sensible woman, as I always thought you, and of a truly contrite one, as I hope you will prove yourself to be, and I the rather hope it, as I shall be always desirous, than of taking every opportunity that offers of doing you real service, as well as with regard to your present as future life. For I am good Mrs. Dukes, as I now hope I may call you your loving friend to serve you, P.B. Whatever good books the worthy Mr. Peters will be so kind as to recommend to you, and to those under your direction, send for them either to Lincoln, Stamford, or Grantham, and place them to my account and may they be the effectual means of confirming you and them in the good way you are in. I have done as much for all here, and I hope to no bad effect, for I shall now tell them, by Mrs. Jervis, if there be occasion, that I hope they will not let me be outdone in Bedfordshire, by Mrs. Dukes in Lincolnshire, but that the servants of both houses may do credit to the best of masters. Adieu, good woman as once more I take pleasure to style you. Thus, my good lady, have I obeyed you. In transcribing these two letters, I will now proceed to your ladyship's twelve articles. As to the 1. I will oblige your ladyship, as I have opportunity, in my future letters, with such accounts of my dear lady's favour and goodness to me, as I think will be acceptable to you, and to the noble ladies you mention. 2. I am extremely delighted that your ladyship thinks so well of my dear honest parents. They are good people, and ever had minds that set them above low and sordid actions, and God and your good brother has rewarded them most amply in this world, which is more than they ever expected, after a series of unprosperousness in all they undertook. Your ladyship is pleased to say that people in upper life love to see how plain nature operates in honest minds, who have hardly anything else for their guide. And if I might not be thought to descend too low for your ladyship's attention, for, as to myself, I shall, I hope, always look back with pleasure to what I was, in order to increase my thankfulness for what I am. I would give you a scene of resignation and contented poverty of which otherwise you could hardly have a notion. I will give it, because it will be a scene of nature, however low, which your ladyship loves, and it shall not tire you by its length. It was upon occasion of a great loss and disappointment, which happened to my dear parents, for though they were never high in life, yet they were not always so low as my honoured lady found them when she took me. My poor father came home, and as the loss was of such a nature as that he could not keep it from my mother he took her hand and said after he had acquainted her with it come my dear let us take comfort that we did for the best we left the issue to providence as we ought and that has turned it as it pleased and we must be content though not favoured as we wished all the business is our lot is not cast for this life let us resign ourselves to the divine will and continue to do our duty, and this short life will soon be passed. Our troubles will be quickly overblown, and we shall be happy in a better, I make no doubt. Then my dear mother threw her arms about his neck, and said with tears, God's will be done, my dear love. All cannot be rich and happy. I am contented, and had rather say I have a poor honest husband than a guilty rich one what signifies repining let the world go as it will we shall have our length and our breadth at last and providence i doubt not will be a better friend to our good girl here because she is good than we could be if this had not happened pointing to me who then about eleven years old for it was before my lady took me sat weeping in the chimney corner over a few dying embers of a fire at their moving expressions. I arose, and kissing both their hands, and blessing them, said, and this length and breadth, my dear parents, will be one day all that the rich and the great can possess, and it may be their ungracious heirs will trample upon their ashes, and rejoice they are gone, while such a poor girl as I am honouring the memories of mine, who in their good names and good lessons will have left me the best of portions. And then they both hugged me to their fond bosoms, by turns, and all three were filled with comfort in one another. For a farther proof that the honest poverty is not such a deplorable thing as some people imagine, let me ask, what pleasure can those over-happy persons know, who, from the luxury of their tastes and their affluent circumstances, always eat before they are hungry, and drink before they are thirsty. This may be illustrated by the instance of a certain eastern monarch, who, as I have read, marching at the head of a vast enemy through a wide extended desert which afforded neither river nor spring, for the first time found himself, in common with his soldiers, overtaken by a craving thirst which made him pant after a cup of water, and when, after diligent search, one of his soldiers found a little dirty puddle, and carried him some of the filthy water in his nasty helmet. The monarch, greedily swallowing it, cried out, that in all his life he never tasted so sweet a draught. But when I talk or write of my worthy parents, how I run on. Excuse me, my good lady, and don't think me, in this respect, too much like the cat in the fable, turned into a fine lady, for though I would never forget what I was, yet I would be thought to know how gratefully to enjoy my present happiness, as well with regard to my obligations to God as to your dear brother, but let me proceed to your ladyship's third particular. 3. And you cannot imagine, madam, how much you have set my heart at rest, when you say that my dear Mr. B. gave me a just narrative of this affair with Miss Godfrey for when your ladyship desired to know how he had recounted that story, lest you should make a misunderstanding between us unawares, I knew not what to think. I was afraid some blood had been shed on the occasion by him, for the lady was ruined, and as to her, nothing could have happened worse. The regard I have for Mr. B.'s future happiness, which, in my constant supplication for him in private, cost me many a tear, gave me great apprehensions and not a little uneasiness, but as your ladyship tells me that he gave me a just account, I am happy again. I now come to your ladyship's fourth particular, and highly delighted I am for having obtained your approbation of my conduct to the child, as well as of my behaviour towards the dear gentleman, on the unhappy lady's score. Your ladyship's wise intimations about having the child with me make due impressions upon me, and I see in them, with grateful pleasure, your unmerited regard for me. Yet I don't know how it is, but I have conceived a strange passion for this dear baby. I cannot but look upon her poor mamma as my sister in point of trial, and shall not the prosperous sister pity and love the poor dear sister that in so slippery a path, have fallen, while she had the happiness to keep her feet. The rest of your ladyship's articles give me the great pleasure and satisfaction, and if I can but continue myself in the favour of your dear brother, and improve in that of his noble sister, how happy shall I be. I will do all I can to deserve both, and I hope you will take as an instance of it my cheerful obedience to your commands, in writing to so fine a judge such crude and indigested stuff, as otherwise I ought to be ashamed to lay before you. I am impatient for the honour of your presence here, and yet I perplex myself with the fear of appearing so unworthy in your eye when near you as to suffer in your opinion. But I promise myself that however this may be the case on your first visit, I shall be so much improved by the benefits I shall reap from your lessons and good example, that whenever I shall be favoured with a second, you shall have fewer faults to find with me, till, as I shall be more and more favoured, I shall in time be just what your ladyship will wish me to be, and, of consequence, more worthy than I am of the honour of styling myself, your ladyship's most humble and obedient servant, P. B. End of letter twenty